friends. Welcome to the Impossible Things Podcast, where the greatest minds in the universe answer the world's toughest questions. But until they arrive, we will be talking about those same questions. I'm Jesse. With me today are Kyle and Jimmy. Hello. Uh, We are going to discuss computer sentience. And I wanted to begin this with a quote that gets at self-awareness. Computer sentience, obviously, is the that computers become self-aware and uh, has all kinds of implications for life. So here's a quote by uh, Eric Fromm. He says, What is it that distinguishes man from animals? It is not his upright posture that was present in the apes long before the brain began to develop. Nor is it the use of tools. It is something altogether new, a previously unknown quality, self-awareness. Animals, too, have awareness. They are aware of objects. They know this one thing and that another. But when human beings, but when the human being as such was born, he had a new and different consciousness, a consciousness of himself. He knew that he existed and that he was something different, something apart from nature, apart from other people, too. He experienced himself. He was aware that he thought and felt, as far as we know, There is nothing analogous to this anywhere in the animal kingdom. That is a specific quality that makes human beings human. That's Eric Fromm. Fromm. Fromm, dude. We've just been frommed. That's pretty crazy. So, uh, the end? Yeah, I guess that's it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so next week. (laughs) Right, so that was uh, was a quick episode. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, I think that definition of self-awareness is really cool. And it's something that, like, like, like when we talked about time travel last time, like when I was researching it on my own, I, I tried to describe like what we're like when time travel. We talked about, uh, like, describing like what what it is, like what we were trying to defining prove. our terms. So like this, I was trying to define like defining the terms for self awareness, which is pretty much what Fromm said. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the ability like there are levels of of consciousness, and it's. I think what we're trying to say is that will it be possible for computers to become self-aware and make decisions on their own and do further research by themselves without any outside interference and have them be able to grow and and basically creating a, a pure human intelligence inside of a machine is I think is is that what we're trying to prove today? Well, I I, I don't think it's I don't think. I think calling it human and making it an anal- an analogous analogous to to, to, to human human sentience, I, I think that that's not exactly what we're going after, or at least I don't think it is because, I, I mean, obviously, like <clears throat> being intrinsic, we like to project that onto other things, and so that's what we're, when we're describing a computer being self aware, we're assuming that the the computer's self awareness is going to be at our uh, our conscious level, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't think it's necessarily that. It's mostly because. Mm-hmm. Like I have an example when we start talking about this of of something twenty five plus years ago that was quote unquote self aware. It could see itself, and then it would make a decision based on whether or not it could see itself. Hmm. So it knew what it it knew what itself was. Like I I know what I am. Like that essentially this this virus saying the Morris worm. I know what I am. Look, it's me. Don't copy. Or in the case of what actually happened, copy anyway. <laughs> um, and so I, I, I don't know. I don't think, I don't think it's as easy as like, cause you, you know, you look at yourself in the mirror and you go, Oh, that's me, Jimmy. I'm human. Uh, I think, but you, but you start thinking about yourself and I don't right. think computers would do that per se. Uh, 
I don't think they'd think about themselves as much as they would analyze other other beings in quotes, uh, human or otherwise. So, so I, I don't know. Like that that to me is the term. I don't think. I think. I think constricting it to just being like, oh, it's like humans is probably not uh, not exactly. At least I wouldn't think what what exactly it is. Uh, it's the best part about percolators, man. Love, this love, conversation percolators. is percolating. Yeah, I love percolators. Percolators make the coffee taste so good. Sorry, this, we're making this, coffee right now. Yes, this podcast <laughs> driven by coffee made from a percolator, an actual percolator, on a stove with actual fire. It's not a natural stove. No, but it's it's that natural gas. All right, that'd be cool. <laughs> anyway, so uh, so do you not think that it's ever possible for computers to become self-aware? Oh no, I absolutely do. You I, okay? Cool. I, I I'm absolutely of the mind that computers will computers can become self-aware and can emulate human emotions and maybe even have maybe even have some of their own things that we wouldn't necessarily classify as emotions right now. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, like it, it, again, technically, if you think about it, a com- computer can feel heat. They have temperature sensors and computers. The computer knows when it's hot. And it says, I'm hot. Turn on this fan. Mm-hmm. Or in the case of like some of the computers we own at work, <laughs> I'm hot. Turn on the water. You yeah. know, like, <laughs> I mean, that they, they are computers on some level right now are aware. They know when their battery is dying because they warn you. They know when they're hot because they tell you and they, they try to correct it. And much like we, we, we change the temperature in our houses when we're too hot or too cold. So, I mean, like that, that kind of awareness exists now, but I think that'll become deeper. It doesn't necessarily, I don't think it'll necessarily be an emotional thing, but I definitely think it's, I, I, I think it's going to happen. What about a computer saying, hey, my innards were damaged. Maybe I, after I fix myself. I should install a heat sensor so that I know when I'm getting too hot. Yeah. See, that's that's, that's the interesting crazy. thing. That's a, that that's something that I I don't know because I, much like I've just described, why does the computer know it's hot? Because a programmer has told it when you get to this temperature, do something. Right. We've created that we as humans, the controller of the the computer, have told it this is too hot for you. We are the parents of these computers. Yes. So our, what you're what you're posturing is. Where we ever raise our computers? Are they ever going to leave to the think nest? for themselves? Will they fly? <laughs> I think so. I think yeah. I think they totally I, will. I absolutely think that kind of logic is something they can learn. Because think think about what we have now. Google can predictively give you results based on your previous searches. Because it's learned. There's an algorithm that has learned what you typically search for. Right. So, like for instance, a, an easy one and a very logical one to follow is like, well, Jesse, you live in Santa Ana, California. So when you search uh, pizza places, you're not looking for a pizza place in New York. You're looking for a pizza place near you. So instead of giving you the results of every pizza Which place in the country, <laughs> somebody get on that. Uh, but, you know, instead of, instead of giving you the pizza results for New York or like the most popular pizza place, which is the, the fundamentals of the, the Google algorithm, the most popular pizza website in the, in the country, it limits your search to just Orange County because it knows based on your previous searches or based on the fact that you've logged in in this case, which which kind of is kind of it's kind of both. That's the problem. Is you've told the computer, I live in Orange County, right? But how do you tell the computer passively or actively? You passively searched things in Orange County, clicked on results that were in Orange County, versus, uh, or or you've actively told it by logging in, and your, you know, Gmail account says you live in in Orange County, California. By the so, way, that's a constant source of frustration for me because sometimes I want to search pizza in New York City. Yeah, right. And it's hard. <laughs> and then you have to specify. You have to tell them, I want to know. New York City, which is why I like Google search on a phone or a, a mobile device is, is quite interesting because it will 
passively detect where you are yes. and then give you results based on that. Mm -hmm. Or if sometimes your computer will detect where your <laughs> well, server is. Yeah, right. <laughs> and you're like, this pizza place is awesome. It's in Los Angeles. Ah, dang, it's in Austin. Yeah, right. <laughs> Why am I so far away? But uh, any, I mean, like anyway, ultimately, I do think that I do think that because of that and the way ser the series algorithm is just curious as all get out, or I mean, even some of Google's like Google Cards, like some of the, the technology that's just kind of on the crest right now and in beta or or just being rolled out, it's very interesting to see what you know what computers think think we are thinking. Like Pandora is the best example of that. Mm -hmm. I think you like this music. It thinks I like John Mayer no matter what I type in there. <laughs> <laughs> and now let me guess, you adamantly hate John Mayer? No. <laughs> oh. When okay. I type in Beethoven, I want to not hear John Mayer. What? Why on earth would... <laughs> oh, no, I miss some jobs. Yeah. I get dropkick Murphys all the time <laughs> in my, my Lincoln Park. That's because you drink like an Irishman. <laughs> okay. But how does Pandora know that? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, Pandora's following us all around. Somebody's opened that box and they need to shut it. <laughs> Spotify all the way, everybody. That's my endorsement. <laughs> so, Jesse, can computers or networks gain self-awareness independent from human programming? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I see a pattern I, here. <laughs> I, yes, I believe everybody. We're two episodes into this podcast. I believe everybody's going to find out that uh, Jesse is the voice of negativity <laughs> or the voice of reality in some probably, cases. Probably the voice of reality. But, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I'm, let's be more positive about it. He's the mm -hmm. voice of reality. Yeah. Before you say that, I'm just going to deny everything. Wait till we do yeah. the next topic. That's fair. Okay. I, 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 like I said, like I said before, is that there was a virus in the, uh, in the eighties, the Morris worm, uh, in the, well, 1988, the Morris worm, it was the first computer widespread computer virus. It was programmed to map the internet and the way it was going to map the internet at the time, which was probably like 60,000 devices. It was going to map the internet by copying itself onto a local computer and then moving on to the next phone number. Mm -hmm. And when it arrived at a, at a computer, it would check that computer it would check that computer to see if it was already there. And if it was there, it would not copy itself, but move on to the next address. The problem with that is that the computer programmer did not really account so well for it checking itself. And so whether it found itself or not, it was copying itself. So no matter if you deleted the worm or not, it was going to copy itself again anyway when it got arrived to on the internet. It did this in several forms. It did it on disks. It did it on, or did it on removable storage. It did it over the internet. It did it several places. They're still finding it places. So it, it it saw itself and was supposed to decide not to copy itself. Correct, it but the lo anyway. the logic the logic was errored uh -huh. on the programmer's side. On the programmer's yeah. side, human error. That is human error. However, as far as self awareness is concerned, this worm was aware of itself. It just made the wrong decision. <laughs> that, that's actually it has something about when we're trying to define like self awareness and like what it really is. It's from something really cool that like we're different from animals, right? Animals have awareness. They they know when they're hungry, they know when they're cold, they know when... And I think something I was talking to you guys a little bit earlier, I think what really makes human self-awareness different is a couple of factors, which I think is is doubt in a lot of ways. I think it's more of an emotion. I think Skepticism, you mean? Anything to where, like, oh, like the way I described it in the iPad, hold on, like it, so it's like, so like a fox, for example, if he's wandering around in the forest... He can like I was I was describing that computers see ones and zeros right they see yeah. yes and no they see on and off right sure 
I think in order for us to get anywhere near self-awareness in computers, there needs to be more options than yes and no. It can't be black and white. Oh. So well, what I'm I was curious. So what I was saying was like an animal, uh, he thinks in three, right? So he thinks in like yes, no, and sometimes is what he what an animal would think sure. in. So like when it's dark, fish come out. When I jump into when I see a shadow, I jump in and I catch a fish. Sometimes. It doesn't always happen. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes I get the fish. Sometimes I don't. Where a human will think, yeah, when it's dark, the fish comes out. When I see a shadow, I jump in and catch the fish. Sometimes, why? I think the main factor in human consciousness is being able to ask itself, well, why didn't it happen that time? Why, why was it this time that, that the fish didn't get caught? And then you grow and then you learn on top of that. Having the ability to ask yourself why... Well, that's fair because I, I was gonna I was gonna break down everything you were gonna say up till that point when you said the why is that you're, you you can break down almost every computer logic and decision making into yes or no yeah and the reason being is that variables variables are what what kill that is that you store information based on the variable the the fish are in the pond at night you know so you go down to the pond is it day yes then don't fish yeah. is it night. Yeah, is it is it night or is it day? No, then fish. Are there fish? Yes or no? Yes, there are fish. Go in the water. No, there's not. Don't go in the water. The problem with what you that's that's so that's more. It is a yes and no thing, but it's dimensionally larger than that. Yes. You can answer. You can stack questions. You can nest responses. Right. Computers can do that. The part that you broke down my theory there is that why mm -hmm. why are there only fish at night? And I think that's something that Let me we Google can't. that. Hang on. <laughs> and I think that's something that we can't invent. I don't think that's something we can ever program. Well, I, I think I, I think it's a chemical like it, I can't even remember where I learned this, but like when you're building like crystals, it takes a really long time for two or three of the molecules of the crystals to come together. But once the foundation is there, it just randomly like the crystal grows yeah. exponentially faster. Well, yeah, but I mean, is it is it an emotional thing? Like, is that, is that, I think, I mean, the, that kind of introspection or extrospection, I guess, if that's even a word, Jesse. Uh, I'm sure, why not? Uh, yeah, okay, extrospection. I mean, of, of us analyzing our environment, like, I feel like that, you know, it would be a lot of threads, but you could probably program that. I mean, as far as that, like, uh, man, I mean, extensive, yes, but possible, I totally think so. I mean, you just got to teach it. The algorithm has to be the math has to be there in order to expand upon itself exponentially. But so you get a so say you get a computer that says, okay, it's dark, fish come out. Hmm. Okay, I go and I see a shadow, but there's no fish. Okay, tomorrow it's dark, fish come out. I go and see a shadow, it's a fish. So what what was different about today that there was a fish? Nothing. Oh, it was a full moon. Fish come out at a full moon. So then you end up with superstitious little robots. Yeah, but you, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you store that information though. It's like, okay, well, I came out here over the course of fourteen days. I came out here every night. I saw a shadow every night. Sometimes that shadow was a fish. What's different about it? That's the question that yeah. Jimmy's at. It's mm -hmm. the, the the ability to ask that question. What's different about I'm saying, it? Even if you ask that question, you just end up superstitious. Well, I mean, that's where a lot of philosophies and things stem from, is, is being super. I mean, we prayed to the moon far before we prayed to anything else. And it's, it's I think it is, it's... What well, it comes from a lack of understanding. Yeah. But, and then, but it's a, well, a lack of all-encompassing understanding. Because to my point about, or to, to the point of what Jesse's saying about, well, the fish only come out when there's a full moon. And it's like, 
the computer needs to know to ask, like, ask itself or ask the situation, well, why was it a shadow other times and it wasn't other times? Or why was it a shadow sometimes and a fish other times? Uh, and then the, the solution being, well, it's the full moon. That would mean that the computer, every night, it goes out to catch a fish, in this example. Mm-hmm. We need to analyze every aspect of the environment. Hey, the trees are moving. That means the wind is blowing. Store, wind equals true. Hey, the moon's out. The moon is full. Store, moon, moon full equals true. Hey, uh, the, you know, I, there's, there's other things here. Store that to be true. And then account for all that. So when it goes back to analyze the information, why were there fish other nights? Uh, why were there fish on some nights and not others? It goes through and finds commonalities between other variables in the yeah. process to discover that, hey, look at that. Every time the moon's out, there's fish. But every time the moon's not out, there's no fish. Must be a full moon. Only go out on full moon. Change your behavior. But again, to to the point of that's not computer sentience because somebody has to program it to analyze every variable. Right. And well, what happens when a variable comes in there that the that the programmer has not accounted for? Like what happens when there's a bear? Uh, yeah, another thing in the in the, another thing in the river. Well, then what do you do? Then the robot dies, and then wrong. Take out the thing in the river. Remove the variable. <laughs> You can't remove variables from life. Yeah, you can. Kill them. <laughs> uh, what's cool, though, is that what, what you're explaining, though, is is kind of how I feel like animals must gain instincts of some level. Yeah. There's some people that think that instincts are something that is pre-programmed in, in genetics of animals. I don't think that's true. I think they kind of learn. Kind of like humans have a very conscious, uh, a, a, a collective conscious in learning. Like three humans in a room are always smarter than just one because we have different experiences. Jesse, where, where's your wife and child? <laughs> <laughs> no one's gonna get that joke because we never talk about. No, his last no, name. no. We already said the last episode. His last name is human. Did we? Yes. Oh, all right. He, he had to clarify last time because I made a joke and then. Uh, we three humans in a room. So yeah, so. I believe animals can can learn and change their instincts. And I, what I think instincts are is programming. I think sure. I think animals. So I think it's very possible for for robots and machines to eventually, through programming from us, kind of learn an algorithm where they can start kind of growing on their own, and it'll always stay there. Like they'll just be like animals. They can just say, "All right, well, there's the full moon. It's windy. The probability of me catching of." Yeah, a fish right now is not that great. I'm right. not gonna fish. Like it's in you will eventually build that and off of successes and failures you eventually will mold and that's kind of like a, a computer evolution in a sense. So and, it actually has a term. Algorithmic learning theory. Oh. It's a mathematical okay. framework for analyzing machine learning problems and algorithms. So how does that work? I kind of the way we were describing. Or? I think it's the way I think it's the way we're describing. I mean, like the 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 points in this article are like learning limits and distinguishing characteristics, which is essentially what I said about you'd have to analyze every functionality of the situation. So, like, you mm-hmm. need to an- even though you don't think the moon has anything to do with it when you first approach the problem, you have to analyze the moon. You have to analyze the the trees moving and the wind blowing and the grass growing and the the time of the year it is. You have to analyze all the stuff, even though you don't think it matters to the the desired result of catching fish. And then I think learning the limit kind of mm-hmm. enforces what Jimmy just said about like, you know, I, I don't know, knowing when to stop, knowing when to stop gathering information, and I, uh, I don't know. It, it, it's it, the here language. Uh, learning the limit 
is language identification of the limit. The objective of language identification is for a machine running one program to be capable of developing another program by which any given sentence can be tested to determine whether it is grammatical or ungrammatical. So they're talking in the terms of the, this program learning grammar without being told what grammar is. I think part of the key is the program writing another program. Yes. To do some of its work for it. Right. And then that program needs to be able to write another program that does some smaller work for it. And, and then that's how it grows. And but, I but think that's, a, that's essentially what a virus does now. Sorry. I mean, like, it, rewrite yourself to work for, you know, Unix code, I guess. Sure. I mean, like, that. there are, I, I, I would have to look, at, look one up, but, I mean, basically, I think, I think a, lot, a lot of this, in my mind, hinges on a, a, analytics, is that knowing everything about a situation, like, knowing every computer out there will know, you'll, you'll know that the, the virus then would know what it could do, or where it could go, or how it would need to manipulate itself. I can't go to position X because position X is written in different code. Recompile for that code. Again, the programmer's told it to do that, so uh, maybe, maybe that breaks it down. But I think what would be interesting is if the virus said, I can't go over there, and it just knows that it can't go over there, so it doesn't go over there. Like, there's not, like, a reason for it, right? Yeah. So there would be... And I think that's where... I think computers and viruses that way will begin to start learning. But I think until we change how they're written and how the hardware for all that works and software for that works... I don't know if they'll ever achieve the why in, in, I don't think they'll ever achieve the question, not in their current state. We would have to change machines up quite a bit in order for them to actually gain a human self-awareness and be able to ask themselves why. And one of the other great um, differences I've, I've heard explained about like why humans are different than animals is because we are the only animal in the planet that will self-examine. Like we will look at ourself. Like we're... Uh, like the only other, the only thing that's gotten close is like a, a an ape where he'll look at his hand and he'll move his hand for a little bit and he'll use his hand to pick it up. But humans are the first ones to look at the hand and then wonder what's inside of that hand. Yeah. And then wonder how that hand works. And then study it. And then when other people die or we kill them <laughs> and then we'll open them up and see how they work. <laughs> or while they're still alive. So yeah. robots. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think one of the one of the problems we run into is the uh, processing power. If you're analyzing for every single variable, even if you're only talking about the fish in the river scene, right? I mean, if we're talking about everything from the moon to the position of twigs mm -hmm. on the riverbank, that is an incredible amount of processing power. So, so how do you... Which is something that interestingly enough, I, I used a similar, uh, a similar example that I can find within the fences of something that's seemingly as equally as vast, the internet. Sure. How would you analyze the entire internet? Google calls it the crawl. The crawl. The crawl. Google will crawl the internet searching for changes to cache web pages and searching for, and thereby thinking about what hosts a web page. You have a host, which is just a computer on the internet, or set of computers, or computer holding a set of web pages. Either way, it's a device on the internet. Google maps the internet practically daily, although <clears throat> it's an algorithm they're not giving up and there are plenty of articles I found about it, but basically people are trying to time, quote unquote, they're trying to time Google's crawl. When is it going to change? Make a bunch of changes on a website, see how many times it gets cached by Google. Those are things the public can see. And then you can see when they, you can kind of time it out, I guess. But what about so things that- How long that does it take? I, nobody's telling. Inconclusive? Inconclusive. Nobody's telling. But when you go to Google, there's a link there where you can, you know, go to Google and type anything in. 
at the bottom of each link is something that says cached, because if the web page does go down, you can go and look at it in its last known state to Google. And so it's a very unused option by a lot of people, except for web developers and programmers and probably hackers to some degree as well, manipulating that cache to be something else. Um, but the, the problem I ran into is what happens to devices that go on and offline all the time, like cell phones or, you know, tablets or whatever, or laptops. Like there, there are several devices on the internet that just conclusively are going to miss that map. Mm-hmm. So, but again, that's to me, like there, you know, I, I have a program that runs in my web browser that tells me what's, what on the page is running that I can't see. And nine times out of 10, there's a little bug called Google Analytics that runs on almost every web page mm-hmm. to give you, and it's a, a lot of people that serve their web pages have Google software running on their web pages to help boost their search results, see their traffic, that kind of thing. And that's called Google Analytics. So all that data is getting stored somewhere and it's accessible to someone or to computers. It's, it's analyzation. Like it's con- there's this constant analytic going on of everything. So there's this huge pile of data... Yes. Somewhere. Yes. Where? That, that the NSA is using. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, this podcast took a turn. <laughs> and we, we've gone south. But, uh, yes, there's a huge pile of data, most of which is probably irrelevant at this point. But in the future, maybe not. Maybe this is all data that we use to, you know, somebody comes up with a brilliant, simple plan to create an algorithm that does analyze all that data and make decisions based off of it or make further analyzation of the data, or create more analyzation of the data. I, I, I think it's possible just because that because the data is there, and we're, we're just because we're not mining it doesn't mean it's not there, I guess is my point, is that right. we're, we're already doing it, we're already gathering this information, so I think, it, I think it'll be possible eventually. I just don't, I have no, I cannot grasp any concept of what the process would be to make a computer become introspective, essentially. Yeah to think about itself, think about why it functions the way it does and how to make itself more efficient. There's always humans involved in that process so far. So I think what we'll need to do is eventually put the, the basic programming into some form of new computer chip. And I think we need is I think once we can get into, which is something I want to talk to you guys about, about another topic, but like you guys hear about that, that Swedish lab that is growing meat right now. What? That's instead they're trying to make a, a synthetic hamburger and it's going to cost approximately $200,000 per patty. <laughs> that seems uh insane. But once we once we master is that it? 325,000. Wow. That's quite a bit. Once we Is your dog digging? What is happening? He's making his bed. Oh. <laughs> it's so cute. Well, I don't know what he's doing now. Mm. Anyway. He's interrupting uh, our podcast he's, he's sort of sentient. <laughs> <laughs> sort of sentient. Uh, I think once we can start growing organic material, when we start genetically programming organic material, that's going to be the microchips of the future. I think maybe. I mean, like, I, I we're and we're getting closer than I think people think. There's a guy that came up with a feasible food printer. Food printer. A food printer that your printer cartridge. Think of a, the normal printer capabilities. Like, you, there's ink cartridges, and then uh-huh. there's the medium. It's a cross between a 3D printer and, a, and an inkjet printer. It's it's just instead of inkjet, it's organic material. And as it spits this organic material out in certain uh, certain places that, you know, in 3D, it heats it up as it goes. So it, it's cooked food that is printed out. I mean, it takes god-awful long time, but it, it like this guy came up with a very feasible way of doing it. But if you have the food inside the printer, 
why don't you just eat the food that way? Well, it's just the organic material. It's the organic makeup of the more, uh, of the food. It's not it's actually. Like, it's like pure nutrients. It's like this is yeah. the protein slot and this is the, yeah, the stuff, stuff slot. like that. Yeah, there's oh, flavor geez. and crap involved. But I mean, like it's this uh, is red dye number seven. Yeah, right. <laughs> food printer. <laughs> this is see. all the <laughs> corn syrup slot. <laughs> NASA-funded 3D food printer. I'm glad NASA's doing something, because we're not in space. Yeah, not in space, that's uh, for sure. We're not sending shuttles to space. Still no, we're still in researching space. space. Well, I mean, Musk is sending people to space, or he's trying to. Hey, man, he's going to do it. Just, just nah, you I wait. It's going to be great. I mean, they already yeah, have, like, But, I mean, like, obviously, obviously, though, we're... We as humanity are progressing in a way of, uh, of doing things with computers that was not previously thought of like printing food and synthetically growing hamburgers in labs, which is yeah. a chemical thing, but it's still technology. Well, I think, I think self-awareness is going to be a mixture of, of technology and, and chemical. Because your, well your, brain, your brain is exactly that. Your brain is a giant yeah, what, hard drive what, microchip that is constantly taking chemical reactions and making thoughts. And right. What happens when we figure out what chemical, what chemical markup precisely does what and in interactive with the mechanics of our body, when we figure that out, and figure out how to make an analog of it in in uh, you know in computers. That's when we're gonna. That's what. That's your theories. That's when. That's mm-hmm. when it's gonna be a thing. Yeah, so and then once we do, it looks like a human, then it'll be sentient. I don't think it's a look thing. I think yeah, it's it makeup. Look. I mean, like you could take everything that makes up a human body and put it in a pile, and it won't look like a human, but it'll be. <laughs> You know, it'll just be a pile of organic material. Very Look grotesque. up that. There's this scary-looking robot that I think is also a Swedish design. It's, a, it's the idea of taking... It looks like a... It basically looks like a... a no. Yeah, it might be that one, actually. This one or this one? The one that's got, like, eyeballs and stuff, and it's, like, it's trying to use, like, because we have so many muscles on our body, it's them trying to take a bunch of hydraulics and stuff and put it on a metal skeleton frame. And that's, then uh... Use... Well, I mean, like, goodness gracious, the long list of creepy robots we've all seen in our lives. I mean, there's one sitting <laughs> sitting nearby to where we work there every is. day. There is one. It's like four feet tall, can kick a soccer ball, go up and down stairs. It's, thing it's, is, it's thing's terrifying. It is absolutely terrifying, but at the same time, it's also very cool. And old and overrated. <laughs> <laughs> so we've lost Jimmy. No, I, it's <laughs> not, not pertinent to this conversation, you're saying? No, no, You don't no. think Osmo has anything to do with what we're talking about? I think Osmo is really cool. I think Osmo is an awesome I vehicle think, for I what think, we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I think Osmo is actually pretty, it's actually pretty amazing. I personally think Osmo was freaking really cool 10 years ago, and now it's like kind of cool. Well, I mean, they, they keep improving upon what he can do, I, saying he's kind of sexist, I suppose, saying what it can do on its own um, without computer or, or without people interaction i mean mm-hmm. like and it's still having a hard time talking that's ultimately like i think where they're at right now but like put siri in it siri gets everything right, right all the time yeah like <laughs> siri had my friend's kid cuss out his grandmother oh my god via text message which was quite hilarious but still like i mean that seems to be the problem is that like talking and and anal- analyzing seem to be the two problems with computers really coming up with something you know on their own uh, but I, I feel like we'll get there. But I, I, I don't know. Like we that, we get there. I think what, what I think of when I think of computer sentience is a computer becoming independent from from all human interaction, program. right? Yeah, exactly. Basically, replicating itself and fixing itself and making a, another version of me 2.0 that can that doesn't need 
people at all that can find its own power source that can mm. improve upon its design. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think I, I, I do think that ultimately it will be possible. I think we'll find, I, I do think in this case where I, I didn't in the time travel case, I think that there is like one or two small pieces of technology that will really change this entire discussion. I don't think that we're like on the cusp of it. Maybe, maybe towards the end of our lives, we'll see it. Mm-hmm. But at some point, I think it's going to be somebody's big deal. Maybe Elon Musk, because that guy seems to have a lot of big deals. That guy is so rad. That guy is so cool. He's the keep he, saying it like he's listening to us. And I, maybe I want him up. to listen to it. So I, I want him to listen to us so bad because he he is the modern day Tony Stark. And that he, guy he really is. So is. Cool. He really is the modern day Tony Stark. I definitely agree with that. Let's move on from that. If we sure. were, if we were to get. Artificial intelligence, which is essentially all-encompassing of what we've talked about. Uh-huh. We were to get artificial intelligence into a machine and a vehicle. What are the moral implications of doing that? The moral implications, as in, hmm, okay. Should we or shouldn't we do that? Why would it be bad if we did, and why wouldn't it be bad if we did? I think we totally should. I think I think we should. And then there's a lot of people that are like, well, what about like, the matrix happening, like where where robots take over and then they yeah. plug you. They into find it. it. They find us as being the most efficient form of energy, and then they yeah. plug us in. Essentially, you can't even EMP and destroy them all. Right. Because the they'll that know about they're that. that. Powerful. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. Like, and there's an, and I think that's kind of a, an important. I think those machines and a lot of the machines that turn bad in stories, they don't, they can't ask themselves why yet. Like they, they just see. Like uh, 2001 Space Odyssey, it's like I'm protecting you from yourself. You know, like humans are bad. You like, can't in, do that, Dave. Yeah, in his mm-hmm. algorithm, he has come to the conclusion that this is wrong, so he must kill humans, right? But that's still in the algorithm. He hasn't gotten to the point yet. Like those are a very sophisticated being, and those are scary because essentially they're animals still, and yeah. they're a very powerful animal. Well, it's like you know, you you going to help a a, a bobcat trapped in a in a in a bear trap or something like that and you go up and help and it bites you because it doesn't know it doesn't mm-hmm. know you're trying to help and yeah. it has no way of of thinking of that kind of thing is right. that kind of the point you're making yeah yeah so that those <laughs> an example from human collective conscious learning that wildfires forest fires for a long time now since basically the 20s we've been trying to suppress and prevent forest fires but they're a vital part of forestation yeah so what did we start forest. doing so we started control burns. Right. But that's only 10, 20 years old, maybe. Yeah, but we learned that. We learned it. But do we allow robots to destroy vast portions of humanity in order for them to have a learning experience? Well, I mean, that's. It would be nice if there were a couple of rules we could instill within, the, <laughs> within these robots. We laugh because it's a very leading question. <laughs> what's, what's great, though, is that in those rules, like an iRobot, he starts okay, asking let's himself. Define the rules. Yeah, what what are the rules for? I don't I don't have the three okay. Rules I, I have the rule. I have the rules in front of me. These are these are com- common and everybody knows about them mostly from a movie it, that was. Uh, oh, you got to cite your source. They're from Isaac Asimov. No, well, they are. I'm I'm getting to that, okay. but uh, right, it's Kyle. from a from a movie. Have your way, Kyle. Called iRobot, which was made after a book by Isaac Asimov, and he he in his book about these these robots who could think for themselves had they had been programmed with three rules. Uh, the three laws, three laws of robotics is what, what, it, what it's, I think, called in the book, at the very least what it's called now. And the three rules are a robot may not injure a human being or through interaction allow a human being to come to harm. Rule number two, a robot must obey the orders given to it by a human except where such orders would conflict with the first law. 
Number three, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. So, that being said, those are the, those are the laws of robotics. And it, I think, I think, and that's cool. And I think as long as that, like, if we could create that, and robots can exist on that level. I think that's actually where they're the most dangerous. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, the fact that you have to, I mean, you think about it, it's like the fact that you have to make laws that would protect you from being killed by your creation mm-hmm. kind of says that maybe we shouldn't be fiddling with this to begin with. <laughs> but, I mean, there, there's, I don't know, there's just so, there, I see there's so many benefits to it is that, the, yeah, you know, like, I, okay. how, much, how much human error can be uh, eliminated from, situations where, mm-hmm. where there's just a robot doing it. Like right. I, like surgery. I mean, like, how, everybody hears those harebrained stories about surgeons who, like, oh, they forgot and they left the cotton ball in the thing, in the, in the human, and now there's an infection. Or, you know, they, they, the doctor has a seizure while he's cutting something delicate open and then cuts too far and kills the person on the table. I mean, those things kind of get erased, mm-hmm. essentially. But is A, is that a good thing? And, you know... I actually, is that a good thing? Uh, maybe that's human nature taking care of itself. Like those kinds of, uh, I mean, like I hate to say things like that because it's a very disconnected thought, uh, humanly at least. It's a very disconnected thought of the uh, uh, survival of the fittest. You know, right. like is that what is that the destiny of that person on the table to have had that accident happen during surgery, and that's what happens? Like, I mean, that's. It, that's such a negative thought, but at the same time, it's like maybe that's how humanity's taking care of itself. So we shouldn't interfere with that by putting a perfect robot, quote unquote, perfect robot, into the mix that will do the surgery perfectly every time. I don't know. Like it's just there's a there's a really good video game called Mass Effect, and I for those of you that have not played it, you should if you like, like video me. games. Like yeah, I've so not played that, Jimmy. I will. I will not spoil. You don't play video games though. You don't have a TV. Yeah. That doesn't mean he doesn't play video games. It's been some time since I've played. <laughs> Let me guess, the last video game you played, you went right all the time. Maybe you jumped, got a mushroom, squashed some other mushrooms, no? He doesn't even know what game you're referencing. Know. That's how long it's been. I don't understand. Clearly, Mario. No. No. Turtle shells flying. No. Greatest game on the holes. planet. The beginning of all that. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, in, anyway, Mass Effect. In Mass happens? Effect, there, there are these ancient... Uh, sentient robots that basically every 3,000 years they show up out of dark space and they destroy all organic life and they let everything start over and they leave the primitive life alone and they let it like and you find out through playing the the trilogy that there was some organic life that made these robots to help them and then through helping they discovered that the only way to help organic life or humans was to destroy them every 3,000 years so that they would grow and then they would learn from there. That's and crazy. So, so, but in that series, there's another type of like, what was really weird in this cycle, as they call it, is that they invented artificial intelligence too, too quickly. Because mm-hmm. that's usually what they, the, the reapers, as they're called, try to kill off all of organic life before they invent artificial intelligence so they have nothing to fight against them. Yeah. And they invented it too quickly, and so they were already fighting with the Geth, which are another artificial intelligence. And then they eventually, you can choose to be become peaceful with them. And then all the stuff that happens after you become peaceful is like they start curing diseases because their processing power can understand how diseases and viruses work, and they start working like that. And it's it's I think I think the potential for humans working with 
conscious robots is incredible. They can do a ton of things that like like surgery and things. Right. And they can they can do and I think that's worth the risk of oh. war a little bit. Oh. <laughs> wow. Bring that up by saying that, man. That's that. See, like I, I, I don't know. I don't know if it would be worth the risk. That's a pretty huge risk because the risk you're talking about is killing everybody. Right. But I mean, like, okay. So what? This is what. Okay, so if if the computers stay at an animal instinct, yes, that is the risk. Everybody will die, and 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 then it will turn to robots against humans. Right. If you can get to why though, if you can get to a human being able to, or excuse me, a robot being able to question itself, yeah, it will never be a hundred percent. Because each once you get individual, once each robot is asking himself, okay, do I like humans or do I not like humans? Do I kill humans or not? Why? 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 Then not every robot will choose to take out humans. Absolutely, and they'll start fighting each other, and then yeah. it'll be humanity with robots. Mm-hmm. And, and I get that, but like what you're talking about is perfect programming from the beginning. Or at the very least, skipping steps, and you'd have mm-hmm. to program the why before you pr- program anything else with this, you know, sentient being. Right. Because if you didn't, you would have a problem. I, i.e., you'd have to come up with three laws, and what happens if you didn't account for some sort of variable in those three laws? And then we have the movie I Robot. I mean, like that. Where everything worked out fine at the end, so it was okay. Yeah, because Will Smith is a badass. That's why. <laughs> well, as long as he's still around, we should be good, right? Well, yeah, but think about his next movie, I Am Legend, man. That's just horrible. That was a pretty rough movie, man. Zombies, robots. That guy's had a rough life. So here's a really early example of kind of a, what, what we're talking about is something non-human being sentient is Frankenstein. Frankenstein. That's really That's cool. true. It's not computer. It's reanimation of life. Except for... I, to make my, my sophomore English teacher proud, you can't call it Frankenstein. It's Frankenstein's monster. There Frankenstein was the doctor that made the monster. Granted. And every time somebody in my class would say Frankenstein in reference to the monster, they would get docked points and would have to leave the room. Wow. So, Intense. that being said, Mary Shelley's book, Frankenstein, which I had to study probably closer than anybody should have to study any book ever, the monster is Frankenstein's monster. All right, mm-hmm. Kyle, then maybe you're the expert. Here. I'm not the expert on this. I'm just saying. <laughs> Out of the three people in this room. Oh, dear. You're, you're definitely. And here's teacher. where I disappoint said English teacher. <laughs> I, Frank, Fra- the problem is, is that Frankenstein was an or- the Frankenstein's monster was an organic. I see I just did it myself. Frankenstein, <laughs> I got to leave the room. I'll see you guys later. Dark points. <laughs> Frankenstein's monster was already organic material, was already right. human pre- previous to he essentially was a brain transplant for all intents and purposes. Like uh-huh. there was nothing created there. It was just reanimated. He was, he was a zombie if anything else by like by definition. So, I sure. mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if those two are the same. And he wasn't a bumbling idiot for those who have not read the book. He no, was, well, uh, he if, was if you're Mel Brooks, he was absolutely a bumbling idiot and it's funny. <laughs> hey, he, he was an incredibly smart, what is he, nine feet tall? In the book or something? I did, yeah, I think so. To He's account for feet. to account for some extra stability or organs or something like yeah. that. The more the moral question can be answered from from the Frankenstein novel. There you go. Um, I think is that <clears throat> I I actually couldn't tell you the in the end of the end of the book as to whether or not the moral implication question was even answered. But that de- that def- that question is definitely raised in that book to whether or not he should have reanimated oh, yeah. or animated that definitely. the monster. And the monster, I think, would have said... I, th- I do that, believe that, I do believe that, that might me. might very be very well be it, is that the monster himself did not want to exist afterwards. Yeah. I think he did end up 
spoiler alert, killing himself. Yeah, I, I was gonna say I, I don't I think that's how it ends is that the moral implications was solved by the actual create by the actual creation. The creation, Frankenstein's monster, decides that uh, he he should never have been reanimated or created, I guess, and so kills himself. Doesn't he, he go and kill Frankenstein too? I believe so. Let's let's look that up. Let's look that up so I don't completely embarrass myself and uh, Mr. Zaretta. Uh, <laughs> in, the, in the event that you ever hear this, I did pay attention, sort of. Well, Kyle's looking that up. Jimmy, do you have any thoughts on the morality of creating... Self-aware robots I, I that, do. that are going to regret their own creation. I don't know. But we don't know if they would regret it or not. They might be extremely excited. If they become self-aware, then they might wonder if they have a soul, and then they actually might be loving creatures. We don't. We don't know what they could be. I think humans long ago have kind of abandoned the old-fashioned Darwinism way of evolving. I think we evolved through technology. So I think it is appropriate for us to go and evolve to a point where we can essentially create intelligence. Up to this point, and, and even now, we've done a lot of great, awesome things with technology. But one of the things we have not been able to do is actually create something from scratch. We're always manipulating. We're taking iron ore and turning it into iron and making that into steel, and then we're moving and and we're you know. Well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna answer that. I'm gonna go break my own rules for a second and answer that religiously. Is that if you follow, if you subscribe to the similar. Similar beliefs to me, nothing new can be created. It can only be manipulated. Right. So, but and that's a scientific law as well. Nothing can be created or destroyed. True. Only only transformed. And so if that's the case, then but, I guess it But doesn't falls. data kind of, isn't there a loophole in data? Because there's so much, data is so small and you can create so much of data. Data like, doesn't get destroyed. It gets transformed. Like mark, uh, marking a file for deletion, all you're doing is re, you're, you're, you're changing you're, the ones and zeros. Yeah, right? you're changing, you're changing the, the part that part of the partition that's all you're doing you're not you're not i mean it's not forgetting it's not erasing it's you're changing the partition i mean molecularly i suppose that's what it is Concept, is, conceptually is, you are you're is data something. is dating is data even molecular like does it have a structure no i, like, I said molecular i said molecular kind of well, it, i said that is, wrong is data a thing though like date like physical actually, tangible no yeah. Like it's it not. has to be. It exists. We use it every day. There has to be some. It's like light. Light has mass. Therefore, data has to have some form of, of size to it. I don't think it does. And if it doesn't, then we've actually created something. If it doesn't have any mass, then we have actually well, successfully yeah, yeah, I know, created but what, yeah, but something I, yeah, out of nothing. Yeah, but you're, you're, you're asking me to weigh a thought. Like it's like weighing a thought in your brain. You can't weigh a thought in your brain, but it ex it exists. And the thought in your brain is typically a thought somebody else has had already. Where does the thought exist in your brain? Uh, in your soul. Where? How do we? That's that. How that's, are we replicating a soul? That's that's the problem. That are is we, that is the conundrum. Is, everybody is that we cannot, as of right now, we can't even analyze a soul, find yeah. out what it is. Where's even your mind? Like we like uh, Jimmy said. <laughs> I ask myself that every day, Jesse. <laughs> Where's your mind? Where is my mind? I sing a song about it that the Pixies wrote. It's great. <laughs> uh, I think. I think it's something that level of consciousness is not something that we can create. I think it's something that needs to be discovered by the thing. I think it's the robot needs to continuously be at the smaller level of consciousness and then itself ask itself why. And we would need to mm -hmm. build some form of 
of vehicle for that thing to to grow into which is why i don't think i don't think any of these things are possible with the current technology that we well, have well now. The, the, it's it, the podcast premise is that yeah i mean none of it's none of it's possible now let, let's let me wrap this up really quick before like not the discussion but this thing about frankenstein frankenstein's monster does not kill the doctor uh he the doctor dies and uh uh the monster expresses his, uh, his, here, here's the Spark Notes version. The monster tells Walton of his immense solitude, suffering, hatred, and remorse. He asserts now that his creator has died, he too can end his suffering. The monster then departs for the northmost ice to die. So he kills himself. That's the way I read that. So that's the end of the Frankenstein book. We've, we've ruined it for you. For God's sakes, don't read it. Mary Shelley was a crazy woman. That's interesting. It, it has a, as a fiction, it has its, at its points, it's uh, it, it, fast-moving it, novel. Well, that's what it's, it's it, to me. It's a perfect. It's the perfect fiction. It, it is. It it makes you apply it to actuality, mm-hmm. and makes you make hopefully make different decisions based on what you've read, without having to yeah. live out the, the creation of a zombie, which is true of a lot of Mary Shelley's work. Yeah, or, or Byron's, for goodness' sake. I mean, <laughs> like he, he, either of those, but they were both crazy people. It caused me a lot of pain when I was 16. So was J.K. <laughs> Rowling, but she wrote some good stuff. Too. J.K. Rowling's a crazy woman. <laughs> a very crazy woman. You know, we could talk, Jesse and I could do an entire 70 minutes, I'm sure, <laughs> on the craziness of some authors. But anyway, back to the point of, uh, of uh, computer sentience is that I, I, I agree with Jimmy is that the, I think regardless of what we create, the vehicle is the problem. Uh, or the vehicle, the vehicle is what would make this possible. I guess yeah. is that what you're saying? Yeah, the the actual brain, in a sense, is what we need to yeah. create. Yeah, I mean, like what we get, we got to find a way to animate Osmo. Like Osmo is it only does what what it's programmed to do. We would have to put a soul in Osmo, and in order to do that, I think we as humans would have to know what a soul is. And I'm working under the premise that we will eventually figure that out, mm-hmm. but maybe we're not supposed to. So I, I don't know. Actually, I can't, I can't conclusively say, I think, after this hour-long discussion, I don't think I can conclusively stick with what I, I started with, which is that this is going to be possible. I think that this might forever remain impossible to the, to the point of what we're talking. I think that maybe the iRobot condition, the Asimov condition of robot might exist. Although, I don't think we'll ever get a, a, a soul inside of a, like if you've seen, uh, like, uh, Millennium Man or whatever oh, that yeah. Robin Williams movie. Mm-hmm. I don't think that'll ever be possible. Which is just a human human robot falls in love, gets married, that whole thing. I that don't was, think that's ever that was an accident in the movie, right? And I, I don't think that's ever possible. Maybe by accident. But that's how it would Maybe be possible. By accident. If it would be possible, it would be possible by accident. Yeah, that's like, probably it would true. Be some rare like. You know, it would be it would, life it would, finds a way, right? So. We would never, we would never find that out. We'd stumble across that, yeah. on accident. I, but I, we and I and, and to that point, I don't think we'd be able to recreate it, even if we, even if we accidentally did it. I think it would be like maybe not a one-time thing, maybe like a batch of things. But I, I think it would be an accident, and it would remain forever an accident. We would not try to recreate that, or if we did, we wouldn't be successful. Mm-hmm. Somebody would always be trying. Well, everybody's always trying. Yeah, I, I guarantee you, right now, there's somebody trying to recreate. Jurassic Park, somebody trying to find the amber with the blood, <laughs> trying to create, you know, the DNA th- strand for a dinosaur, and oh I just don't think it's goodness. possible. So, anyway. Isn't that, that possible? What? Seems plausible, at least. I feel like we should discuss this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm adding it to the notes. It's Jurassic Park. What is, the, what is next week? What are we yeah, tell about? us about next week, Jesse. Uh, next week is teleportation. Yes. Uh, I think the implication is of a human body. 
or other or, organic or a Kyle or a Jimmy. There you go. <laughs> the oh, jokes are endless. My my big thing is <laughs> poor guy. <laughs> my my big thing is uh, uh, with teleportation is is something in Star Trek actually is does the soul go with you and are you the same person ah, on the other side? I feel and I feel like you are teasing exactly the problem I ran into. <laughs> You're right. Wow. I did not run into this problem. I went a totally different direction. Hey, that's perfect. That's great. Well, we'll I talk think about it'll be it an interesting week, podcast next week, don't you think? Well, all right. Our time is up for now. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this topic and anything else. Our email address is impossiblethingspodcast at gmail.com. That's impossiblethingspodcast. No dots, dashes, spaces of any kind. All one word, no capital letters. Impossible things podcast at gmail.com. Tell us what a bunch of idiots we are and anything else you want to talk about. Or if your quote is short, just put it up on Twitter. We'll banter back and forth. I-M-P-T-H-N-G podcast. Imp podcast. I-M-P-T-H-N-G podcast. Goodbye for now. See you next time.